When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Unofficial Bengals Podcast. Welcome to the Unofficial Bengals Podcast. This is your host, Frank LaPlaca, and I'm a Bengals fan for life. All right, this episode is going to be entirely dedicated to the Bengals game against the Browns. We're going to go over key plays, observations, performances, the good and the bad, and pretty much everything related to the game. Now, watching Bengals football is my absolute favorite thing to do on this planet. And then to analyze a game and to talk about it is right up there amongst my favorite things to do on this planet. So I hope you guys enjoy. What's up, Bengal Nation? This is Adrian the Mad Backer Ross, and you're listening to the unofficial Bengals podcast. Who day? Cincinnati Bengals fans, I'd like to introduce Frank LaPlaca. Five letters here, just for everybody out there in Bengal land and yourself today. R-E-L-A-X. Relax. We're going to be okay. All right, so let's go over this heartbreaking, disappointing loss to the Browns. So it was a 24-3 loss, but we have to remember it was a road divisional game against an opponent who always gives us trouble. And I know that's no excuse. We wanted to go in, start off the season strong. But if you're going to lose any games, it's those road divisional games. The Browns have our number. Every year they seem to blow us out in one of the games. So we got it out of our system. The weather was crazy. But we're moving on. Next week we get a chance to make it all right against Baltimore. Big takeaway from the game, no injuries. At least no injuries that were visible on the field. No one needed to be carted off. Looks like we got out of the game in one piece. Everyone's going to get a little bit healthier and a little bit stronger for next week. And honestly, I never saw a game this affected by rain. And I've been watching football. I don't even want to date myself, but it's been 40-plus years. I mean, almost 50 at this point. And very rarely have I seen a game this affected by rain. I mean, both quarterbacks were having a hard time throwing. The kicking game was affected. The punting game was affected. You've never seen Joe Burrow struggle like that. And I'm not going to make excuses. We'll talk about that a little bit later. But that ball was wet, heavy, and bloated. And that's not an easy ball to throw. That's slippery too. But again, I've never seen a game this affected by rain. It played right into the Browns' hands. A solid defense and a great running back in Chubb. And it was a pretty crazy game for us. We were really out of sync. Even Ted Karras mentioned that there was communication issues. If you looked at Burrow, there was a few times where he's clapping his hands so they avoided a delay of game. Like, they just weren't on the same page in a lot of ways. You know, it's the first game of the year. We didn't have any preseason with the starting offense. Burrow missed a lot of camp, and it really showed in this game. And that's the quandary for preseason moving forward. I like the Coach Taylor approach to getting everyone to the gate on week one healthy. But sometimes it backfires. The last couple years, we have not been prepared for week one, and it's come back to haunt us. So we're we're avoiding injuries, but we're taking one loss. And every loss in the NFL 
is pretty heavy duty. You can't have too many of them. You start getting out of contention. You start getting out of home field advantage land. So we have to think about that for the future. I don't want to make any any definitive decisions on that right now, but it's something that we may need to weigh out. Yes, no injuries, but tanking in the first game last couple years, I don't know. It's something that needs to be evaluated. Whatever the coaching staff decides from this point on, I'm behind because I trust them, but it is something to think about. And getting back to that of not really being ready and out of sync, it was a very un-Bengals-like game. We had a delay of game, very rare for us. We're always calling that timeout from the sideline before that happens. We had an illegal formation. We had an illegal shift that Coach Taylor took the blame for, which I give him credit. You know, he's trying to protect his team. But those are three penalties, 15 yards. You know, I know it's only 15 yards in the grand scheme, but when they occur, now you're looking at a first and 15 or a second and seven becomes a second and 12. You know, it gets you behind the sticks. So not really what our organization is about. We don't have a lot of this, but in game one, you don't like to see those ugly penalties. And I know there was some criticism about the play calling, but you have to think about it. We had a lot of three and outs. So when there's all those three and outs, there's not a lot of plays to call. And we tried to run it on first down a bunch of times. We had some first down runs that weren't successful. We had a couple that were, but I would say more of the first down runs weren't successful. So now we're in a second and long. Now the playbook shrinks. Now you have to throw the ball to try to get into first down contention. So it's easy to say, yes, run, 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 run. But if you're not having success on first down and you're going three and out constantly in the game, it's not as black and white as that. I agree with the decision to go for it on fourth and four at our own 18 with 10.30 left. We're down 16-3. to three. The offense is not moving the ball. The weather's affecting us. Burrow is off. The Browns' pass rush is off the hook. They're covering our receivers. You know, it was one of those situations where, all right, what, we punt the ball back to them with 10.30 left in the game. They control the clock for another four minutes. Now we're looking at six minutes left to try to score two touchdowns to jump into the lead when we haven't even scored a touchdown on the day. I like the gamble there. You know, it was that kind of game where it was like nothing is going in our favor. We're going to try to get magic in the bottle. We're going to go for it on our own 18 on a fourth and four, and we're going to let the game ride right there. And it didn't go in our favor, so I know you can second-guess the decision, but you have to think of the mentality behind the decision. And it truly was, if we punt the ball to the Browns, they're going to drain enough clock where there's not enough time to score twice. Now, by the same token, I disagree with not going for it on the fourth and three in the second quarter. We were in Browns territory. You know, I don't know, we were on like the 39, maybe 40-yard line or so. And then what happens ultimately is we punt it and get a touchback, so it was kind of meaningless. But you have to think about this. In that situation, if you guys remember, so it's now third and three, second quarter, no points on the board. If you take it as a third and three and you just take it as a two-play sequence, we have two plays to get three yards. A handoff to mixing up the middle can get you one or two, and then a quarterback sneak or another one, or maybe a slant and then a run, or a run and then a slant. You know, there was a lot of options to do there, but what happened was we gambled. You know, this whole game was about gambling, like that fourth quarter at the end of the game thing. In this case, we went deep down the sideline to Higgins. Now, if we hit that, that's a touchdown, breaks the game open, gives us all the momentum. So that's the gamble in it. But on that third and three, when you miss that, now you're on a fourth and three, and you have a decision to make. I still would have went for it. I disagree with the coaching staff. But again, they have not let us down. You're not going to make every decision right. 
and it's easy for me to sit here in my living room and say what they should and should not have done. And now another observation from the game. There's 9-11 left. We're down 24-3. I would have pulled Burrow then rather than the six-minute mark. And I actually would have pulled a bunch of the starters at that point. You know, why keep them in there and expose them to hits and injury? Chase took a big hit when Browning floated that ball to him late. So I don't think there was anything to gain after that point. After that fourth and four, when Burrow got sacked, I thought the game was over and it was a good time to get him out. You know, that calf was not right the whole game. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But you need to keep him healthy, and there's no reason for Chase to take a blast like that. There's no reason even for some of your starting linemen and Mixon. And there was a lot of guys in there, you know, even your linebackers, Pratt and Wilson. Good opportunity to get some other guys some work and let them play a good nine minutes of a game that you're not going to win. All right, some offensive observations. Chase was in motion a lot. They were moving him all over the field. I like that. It looks like they're not going to let teams just focus in on him and double-team him. They kept him moving. He was in the slot a lot. He was out of the backfield a lot. He's on the outside, mixing it up. And I think that was a great wrinkle, and I want to see that continue for the whole season. The deep shots to Higgins uncharacteristically did not work. And normally that's a go-to play for us. He's a dynamic receiver. That connection with Burrow, high-pointing, back shoulder, all those things work constantly for us. And in this game, you know, they kind of had our number. Burrow wasn't totally accurate, and the corners were all over our wide receivers. So it was really rare to see the deep ball to Higgins not work, and we tested it a lot. I think he had about eight targets and no receptions. And the Browns' top three corners, I mean, Ward, Emerson, and Newsom, they're great players. And they were winning against our top three receivers. And that's not a referendum. I know that Chase, Higgins, and Boyd are ultimately better than those guys. But we weren't getting separation. And I think we should have done some more four wides and five wides and used the other wide receiver matchups. You know what? If your big three are getting covered, then put Trenton Irwin out there on their fourth corner. You know, get your Sivash out there. You know, you never know in those situations. If it's really not working and Higgins has no receptions, Boyd's not getting any separation, and they're all over Chase, why not bring those other couple guys in there and just give it a shot? In reality, there were zero targets to any other wide receiver aside from the big three. And I think you need to mix it up just a little bit more than that. No matter what the game is, no matter what the weather is, no matter who you're playing, you can't just focus in on three guys all the time. And the Browns were moving Garrett all over. A great wrinkle by them. You know, typically in the past, and this is the truth, they were like, all right, Jonah's at left tackle. We're going to line up Garrett there all day. He's going to beat Jonah all day and come in on Burrow's blind side. In this case, they were like, oh, Jonah's on the right. So now you saw Garrett on the left a little bit. You saw him come up the middle. You saw them move him over to the right to take on Jonah. So very clever by the Browns. It worked because Miles Garrett, love him or hate him, is an all-world player. And he was a game-breaker in this game. All right, on to defense, some observations. The defense didn't do too badly against Chubb. He had a couple good runs early, but for the most part, we were containing him in the middle of the game, and then later on, the defense started getting gassed, and he opened up again. So I know he had 106, 108 yards, whatever it was, but it wasn't a totally dominating game by Chubb. I thought that we held him enough to win the game if the offense was on track. 
the new safeties played pretty well, and they eased my concerns. I was really worried about Nick Scott after I saw that one drive in preseason. And I think he had a great game. He had 11 tackles. Those guys made plays. Hill had the interception. Again, Scott was all over the field. Hill had a big hit on the quarterback. And the safeties were not a liability. Now, Hill was late getting over a couple times in the game. But, I mean, it's his first start ever at free safety. You know, on the Watson touchdown, he was over a little bit late. And Scott had a very solid game. The one thing that he did was he blew the coverage on Njoku late in the game where Njoku got like 15 yards on a key play. I think it was late third quarter or so. And that's what he did in the preseason. Like he bit on the inside and missed his assignment on the outside and let someone get outside of him. That's what happened this game, but it only happened once. And for the rest of the game, he was solid. So I'm going to give the safeties a high grade for this game. And they definitely ease my concerns because... You know as well as I do. We were worried. You know, Bates and Bell for a rookie safety and a Rams free agent semi-cast-off. We blitzed the defensive backs a lot. I knew that was going to happen. You know, we don't have Osai in there. Murphy's still getting his legs underneath him, so you really only have two pure pass rushers. We, we got Pratt and Wilson in there. Pratt got a sack out of it as well. But you saw Hilton go in as normal. You saw Hill get a big hit on the quarterback. You saw Nick Scott in the backfield a couple times. So I think very good planning by Coach Anarumo there. You know, if you don't have all of your edge rushers, then you have to create pressure otherwise. And he's the mad scientist, or, you know, Dr. Lou, I guess, is his nickname because he's got that doctorate degree. And as I said in the last episode, I thought they should have rotated DJ Turner in with Awuzie just a little bit to rest Awuzie, not give him such a heavy workload, and that's exactly what they did, and DJ Turner performed well in this game. So it was a good way to ease in both of them. Awuzie, hey, you don't have to play every snap. Turner, hey, you don't have to play every snap. So what they did was they got both of them time in there, they preserved Awuzie, they got DJ Turner experience in an important game. So that was just a win all around and a great idea by the coaching staff. And uh, I don't know if you guys were listening to me, but you're welcome, Coach Inarumo. Okay, so one of the things I wanted them to do was spy Watson. We didn't really do that this game, and it burned us a little bit. He had a big first down run. He had that touchdown run. Not a whole lot, but he had a couple big runs in this game. And I thought we should have spied him a little bit more because I don't really have a lot of faith in the receivers. I thought the key was spy Watson and contain Chubb, have that extra man in the box and, you know, just, you know, test your luck on the outside. We didn't quite do that, and it burned us a little bit in this game. And Watson looked bad throwing, but again, I can't be the judge because we've never seen Joe Burrow throw for less than 100 yards. But Watson was off target a lot, but I'm, I'm guessing for both quarterbacks it was the rain. I'm just hoping that Watson continues to be a mediocre throwing quarterback. And I wasn't thrilled with his air guitar celebration. But I don't know, he's just acting all cocky with like his tongue out on the sideline doing an air guitar. And I just didn't think it was a good look for him based on all the stuff that happened over the last year or two. You know, maybe a little humility, people might respect you a little more. But you know what, he's not our quarterback. Let him just be a social nightmare. Last observation, I think I say this every year, I love Charles Davis. And I love how he brought in a phrase that I didn't even knew existed, FBI, which is football intelligence. So that's something I'm going to probably steal and use a lot. And I might not even tell people that I got it from Charles Davis. And also, CBS, you have to do better with the replays. Just don't talk about meaningless things in between or show crowd shots or show facial expressions. I know it's the human aspect. Just give me replays on virtually every play. There were so many plays where I was like, I need to see what happened. Obviously, no replays. So what do you do? 
me being the podcaster after the game, I rewatch the game for a couple hours, fast forward, rewind, pause, and I get all my replays in that way. But man, CBS, throw me a bone. You're making it too hard on me. Okay, reasons for the loss. Field position killed us. It seemed like we were starting inside our 20 constantly, and it seemed like they were starting at the 30 and 40 constantly. That adds up as the game goes on, especially in a game where neither team is really moving the ball through the air. The pressure on Joe Burrow was also a major factor. Offensive line is still not there yet. I do believe in these guys. It's a better unit than we've ever had, and they're not atrocious. They're not like the lines of the past, but still 10 hits on Burrow is not good. Another reason for the loss, Joe Burrow's still banged up, whether we want to admit it or not. You know, whether he's coming out and sprinting on the sideline and everyone's reporting he's okay, he's still not 100%, and we have to realize that. He hasn't had a preseason with the team. The rain was affecting him. The calf was affecting him. He was rubbing his knee at one point. So I just think that we need to get Joe Burrow healthy, and I don't know how that's going to happen when we're playing a game every week against tough opponents big pass rushes, and him taking 10 hits every week. And the last reason I blame for the loss is Chubb wore down our defense. As the game went on, we had a hard time stopping him. He's an all-world back, one of the best in the league. They have a great offensive line. And, you know, just that pulling on you, pulling on you, pulling on you, pulling on you, eventually you're just going to wear out, and that's what happened. We lost the time of possession battle. We lost the field position battle. And ultimately, we lost the game. All right, so for those of you that didn't watch the game, what I'm going to do every week is I'm just going to go over the quick game flow. In about 10 or 12 sentences, I'm going to tell you exactly what happened in the game from my point of view. And if you didn't watch the game, you can close your eyes and pretend that you did, or you can tell your friends that you did because you're going to get all this inside information. So here we go. First quarter, defensive stops by both teams throughout the first quarter. Then we get there in the early second. Amari Cooper finds an opening in the zone D and it leads to a field goal that was one of their only long passes. Now it's 3-0 Browns. Then for most of the second quarter, defensive stops both ways. We get the ball back. We punt to the Browns. We get the Browns to punt on their next two drives, but then our offense stalls. We give it back to the Browns with a minute 36 in the half. You know the most important part of the game is the end of the half, beginning of the second half. You can make a real big swing there. Normally, we're the team who wins in those situations, Unfortunately here, Browns get a big play from Elijah Moore. And on that play, three Bengals slipped trying to tackle him while he reversed field. Not an excuse, just an observation on why Elijah Moore got such a big run. And then honestly, the Browns outsmarted us. Stefanski outsmarted our coaching staff because they set up four wide receivers on one side and Watson does a bootleg left for the touchdown. 10-0 Browns. Second half opens. We hold the Browns to a three and out. Then we get the ball and move it as well as we have all day and get a field goal. Browns get the ball back. We get the interception by Hill. We have trouble moving the ball, but we get in the long field goal range. We miss a deep shot to Higgins on third down, one of a couple in this game. And then McPherson misses the 51-yarder. At this point, the Browns are taking advantage of field position because they're basically at midfield after that miss. Our defense is gassed. Even though the defense is tired, we hold them to a late third quarter field goal. Now it's 13-3. to We get the ball back. We have a bad punt. We have a missed assignment on Njoku. They get the big run by Jerome Ford. 
leads to another field goal. So in all these situations, the defense is bending but not breaking. They're putting some bad field position situations, and they're holding the Browns to field goals consistently. So at this point, it's 16-3. to And what is that? That's three field goals by the Browns, which were basically caused by good field position, and they had one strong drive where they were able to punch it in with Watson having that sneak. So here we are, 16-3. to We get it in the early fourth quarter. We don't do anything with it. We're on our own 18 on a fourth and four. Joe Burrow gets sacked. We take the gamble. Pretty much game over right there. The Browns get it at our 18-yard line, and they just march down the 18 yards, score a touchdown on one of those tight end passes. You know, Chubb is killing us on two, three runs in a row. Then they fake it to Chubb. The tight end does the out. I just don't know why all NFL teams are prepared for this because that is the goal line play. And sure enough, it worked for the Browns. In this case, 24-3. to That's how the game went in a nutshell. You don't even have to watch the game. Those 15 bullet points pretty much tell you what happened. All right, let's move on to my favorite topic, talking about Joe Burrow. So two quotes from him after the game, and this is a leader. This is someone who does not flinch no matter how good or bad things are. And he said two things that stood out to me. One is, nobody is panicking here. And the second thing is, we're going to keep trucking. That's a winner, folks. So back to Burrow. We know that he was off. The lack of preseason, the calf, the wet ball, everything. His longest wide receiver pass, 12 yards. First quarter, he's on the sideline getting calf treatment and also rubbing his knee. Not a good sign. Haven't heard anything about it. Hope he's okay. Body language was uncharacteristically off, his facial expressions. I know he's all business on the sideline, but he had like this depressed aura about him for pretty much the whole game, and I don't blame him. All right, so let's go over the good and the bad from a roster standpoint. So first off, the defense had two big turnovers. We held the Browns basically to one touchdown until that late gamble at the end of the game. So an excellent job by the defense, a winning effort, and very encouraging for the fans to see this defense play well on all three levels. Reader, great game. Hill, great game. Hubbard, great game. Hendrickson played very well. He had pressures. He had a sack. All four of those guys exactly as advertised. And then you get some supplemental players coming in. Zach Carter had the best game of his career. He had the tip ball for the INT. He had a tackle for a loss. He had a pressure. It's nice to see a ready, I mean, third-round pick thinking he's a rotational guy. All of a sudden, he's showing up like a big-time starter in this game. So I don't know how many snaps he got, but an excellent game by Zach Carter. Jermaine Pratt was all over the field. I'm so happy we brought him back. You know, he was kind of rewarding the Bengals for giving him that contract. He looked faster than ever. He had 11 tackles, a sack, a forced fumble, just all over the field. He was actually the more dominant of the two linebackers, and I think Wilson played a decent game as well. Cam Taylor Britt played excellently. Awuzier held up. The corners let up very few receptions to the Browns wide receivers. Hilton had a good game. DJ Turner came in there and did the job. It was just a, a very good effort. As I mentioned, the safeties looked good. Hill was rangy. He had the interception. Scott had the 11 tackles. So secondary, excellent. Linebackers, excellent. Defensive line, excellent. That's the good on defense. Offensively, not a lot of good stuff to report. I think Mixon looked sharp. He looked fast. He ran hard. Had a couple really nice runs. I think Chase made some big first down catches when called upon. Took some big hits. And you can tell he's poised for a great season. 
All right, on to the bad, and it's fair. If you're going to do the good, you're going to do the bad, but I'm not going to dwell on the bad. Ten hits on Burrow, unacceptable. Robbins had a tough game punting, but again, that's a wet, heavy ball. First game of his career. He got ten punts of experience in a real tough AFC North matchup. His holding was flawless. So we're going to turn that into a positive, even though a couple punts there cost us in this game. Miles Murphy, pretty much a non-factor. I saw him in there for a few snaps. I was watching him like a hawk and didn't do much. Offensively, wide receivers not getting separation. Higgins, zero catches. That can never be a good thing. Irv Smith had the drop on the third and one early. That could have kept that drive going, especially when he's got a rep for dropping balls. The last thing you want to see is the first target he gets be a drop. Even though PFF had him rated highly, and I just don't get the formula because I do the eye test, I know they know better than me. I keep saying that, but it's the truth. It's times where I'm like, someone had a bad game, and then I read on you know Bengals.com that they were the third-ranked offensive player for us. So what do I know? I don't know what they know. I don't know what anybody knows. But I think Ted Karras had his worst game as a Bengal. You know, he let up a sack early. He missed a blitzer. Had a couple plays where he looked like he got overpowered. I'm sure there were you know 50 other plays where he played well on. But I noticed a couple things. I guess that's what you notice with the offensive linemen are the mistakes and not all the other plays when they're performing well. But just from the eye test, I thought it was his worst game as a Bengal. But man, I love that player. He is an absolute asset for this team. And I'm not dissing on Ted Karras. I'm not dissing on any of these guys that I'm mentioning. It's just fair journalism to mention the good and the bad. Jonah made three major mistakes, including that game-breaking sack. Aside from that, held up better than I thought. I knew he was going to have a problem with Zadarius Smith. I didn't realize they were going to put Garrett over him. But if you go back to the game, there were three specific instances where he really cost the team and got Burrow laid out. And I know it's only three plays out of whatever 40, 50 plays that we ran, but that's too many times. You don't want to see Joe Burrow get hit even twice in a game. And if you're the one letting up three hits a game, you know, think about that over 17 games. That's 50 hits on Burrow. And typically they're hits from guys that are bigger than him or guys that have momentum or guys that are blindsiding him. So that has to get better. The last negative things are the sacks. Sack number one, Karras misses a blitzer in the first series. Burrow gets popped. Sack number two, Jonah gets beaten by Garrett. Travion Williams is responsible for the double team, but Travion gets a little antsy and leaves the double team too early and Garrett gets to Burrow before Burrow can flip it to Travion. So that's on Jonah and Travion. I think Travion should have just stayed with the block and let Jonah try to find someone downfield because you just can't gamble with Miles Garrett, and in this case, it ended the game for us. All right, I told you when I review a Bengals game, I'm going to be thorough. So even though it was an ugly loss and I've talked about pretty much everything you can talk about, I think it's important to go over the key plays and what happened on those key plays. So in this game, there were a few plays that mattered, and I put it down to four key plays. First one, fumble recovery early in the game. Browns are driving down the field. Nick Scott lays a hit on Jerome Ford. Pratt and Wilson rally to the tackle. Wilson stands him up. Pratt punches the ball out. Awuzie smartly falls on the ball. A lot of times your instinct is to try to pick it up and run. In this case, it's a slippery ball. A defender had a beat on him right away. So it was smart that Awuzie just dove on the ball. Bengals get the ball back, stop the Browns from scoring. Huge play early in the game. The Deshaun Watson touchdown. So the Browns put four wide receivers right in a weird formation. I'm just going to call it a diamond formation. I don't know the, the exact terminology for it. But if you looked at the four guys, it was kind of in the shape of a diamond. 
On the other side, they have one wide receiver. It's Cooper with Cam Taylor Britt covering him. We like that matchup. We trust Cam Taylor Britt in the bottom. We're thinking they're going to throw it. So does Trey Hendrickson because he gets overly aggressive on the inside pass rush. He loses contain. Britt gets blocked by Cooper. And then you have Pratt and Hill as like the next two guys responsible. Pratt kind of gets caught up in the muck in the middle of the field. Hill had come over to the other side to try to cover, so he was late getting over. He had to come over the whole field. Not quick enough. Watson scores the touchdown. Third big play was the Dax Hill interception. So Sample and Reeder got some pressure. They were holding Reeder. Sample, I thought, got hurt in the play. He wasn't, fortunately. But those two guys caused good pressure. Watson scrambles left. Now, it's tough for a quarterback to scramble left and throw that way, but Watson thinks he's immortal and can do that. So he goes for it. Zach Carter jumps up, tips the ball, falls right into Dax Hill's hands. He makes the catch, which he should, and returns the ball to the 48-yard line. And the last key play of the game was the fourth and four at the end, which pretty much sealed it. We go with four wide receivers thinking, you know, it's going to be pitch and catch. Get Burrow the ball, bang it out there. Burrow takes the snap and is immediately looking for Higgins on the slant, but the protection breaks down from pretty much all over, but more in particular, the Jonah-Travion thing that I said. Burrow has no time to find anybody, tries to scramble to the right to buy time. Miles Garrett catches him. Sack. Game over. So the other thing I like to do is analyze the first drive of the second half, because this means what you talked about in the locker room, these are your adjustments. You know, in a game like this, which wasn't going our way, you kind of want to hear what's in the coaching staff's minds as we come out to start the second half. So here it is. I'll just blast through it, and then I'll talk about the mentality behind it. So first play, mix and right for four yards. I think it's a good idea. You come out, get the ball moving with a good solid run. It was probably a run they schemed up, one of the better runs in the playbook. Second play, you have the miscommunication with Burrow and Higgins. It looked like Burrow was expecting Higgins to come back. Higgins ended up going deep. Ball falls incomplete. Third down, you get the ward pass interference on a chase deep ball. So let's think about the first three plays. It was going to be mix and right. It was going to be a comeback to Higgins, and hopefully that was going to get us a first down. And then we we're going to look to hit chase up top. So I like the way they were thinking out in the locker room. Didn't work the way we thought, but here we are at first down. Now here's the next four plays. We send Jamar Chase in motion for a swing pass on the left, and the Browns blow it up, so Burrow has to make other plans. He tries a deep ball to Higgins down the left sideline. Can't be accurate because of Jonah letting up pressure from his man, so that's what happens on that first down play. Second down, we try Mixon on a swing pass, and that gets blown up because of pressure from Orlando Brown's man. And then third down, the pocket immediately collapses. Burrow just scrambles right. Irv Smith finds his eyes, and he hits Irv Smith on the sideline for like six yards. So if you think about that second series, we tried two quick swing passes. And then on third down, we had Burrow you know, sit there and try to analyze the field. On all three plays, there were pressure, so there was nothing that we could do. So I think we had the right idea coming in. They weren't exposing Burrow to having to throw the ball deep and take big hits. They tried some quick passing. They tried one deep ball. They tried running it. I think they mixed it up well on that drive. But the protection failed, and therefore the first drive of the second half failed. Ultimately, we end up getting McPherson for a 42-yard field goal. We get on the board. But really, that drive was not what we expected and a major factor in the fact that we didn't win this game. All right, so to summarize everything, as I said, it was a road loss to a divisional opponent. Our offense was rusty, and there were adverse conditions. Am I making excuses? 
I don't know. But I'm just giving you the reason why this game wasn't just a gimme win. And going in, I don't like to say it to everybody because I want to be optimistic. But I wasn't sure that we were going to win this game. Just like last year opening against Pittsburgh. I didn't feel good about that game either. And I'm not some kind of prophet or anything. But I'm not surprised we lost this game. But it's not going to affect us. We have a bunch of easy games coming after the Ravens. And, you know, before you know it, we could be 5-1, and 4-2, and two, facing the Niners. And then the season kicks off from there. We hit our stride. Next thing you know, we're in the AFC Championship game again. I have no doubts about this team. This game is not defining anything. And again, for all you out there that are panicking and getting down on the team, there's no need to pull the fire alarm right now. The defense looks great, and our offense is a time bomb just waiting to explode on the Ravens and whoever comes down the pike next. McLeavy Minute. All right, we're here with Tom McLevy. Tom, how are you today? Good, Frank. How you doing, bud? All right, my friend. Great to hear your voice, and I want to hear your take on this game that just happened on Sunday. I sort of expected a, like, rust out of Burrow, seeing that he didn't play at all in the preseason. I, I didn't think it'd be this bad, but then adding the weather, adding everything else, you know, it's just one of those games, Frank, that you just... Rip the sheet off of the notebook, throw the paper in the can, and uh, move on the next week. Although, after this performance in Cleveland, you know, we're spoiled now with the Joe Burrow effect. So, I'm expecting a big beatdown on the Ravens this week. Just the fact that knowing Burrow, knowing this team, that they're embarrassed at how they performed. And Joe Burrow will take center stage, you know, even though he had some not playing in the preseason, you know, he has some built-in excuses, but that's not Joe Burrow. I'm moving on. The The only negative was, uh, you know, a team in the division. So just it's early, first week. This season is who's the hottest team at the end of the year going in the playoff. That's what matters. So let's start this week with the Ravens and call it week one. That's my opinion on it. Love your take on it. What were your thoughts as the game was going on? You know, what was going on inside your head when we were just totally ineffective? What a a terrible day. I mean, uh, uh, the rain, I mean, going down, and I'm like, just don't get hurt. Nobody get hurt. It looks like we came out of there unscathed, so um, on to week two against the Ravens. You know, you're my front office guy. I like to lean on you about the front office and personnel decisions and general management kind of things. So let's backtrack a little bit, and what do you think about the Joe Burrow contract, how it affects the organization, and just everything related to that? First and foremost, they do what they, you know, had to do. Um and, you know, poor Mike Brown can't get a break at all. He finally, you know, first he's called cheap. Oh, Burrow won't sign there. They won't pay him. Blah, blah, blah. Well, they finally pay him, make him the highest paid player in the NFL. But then now I was reading that they were taking offense to when Mike Brown announced it. Right before kickoff or the Thursday night game, they were giving him crap about that oh why they couldn't do it uh the next morning they had to do it on 
I'm like, you, you got to be kidding me. So besides that, great signing. And I truly believe that contract will be reworked every two, three years just to save cap space, to sign other guys, just like all the quarterbacks do. Great signing takes the uh, the questions off the table every week that Burrow or the Bengals would have to hear and um, move on to trying to get T. Higgins uh, extended. If not, they got you know the franchise tag for him and uh, move on to Chase to get him signed. So, you know, I applaud the move as, as any fan of any team would because the bottom line is the quarterback's the number one guy that drives the bus. So that's out of the way. So now let's move on to uh, take care of some of the other people on this team. Yeah, Tom, I like the way you put it because with the $55 million coming off the cap every year, you start worrying that we're not going to be able to sign people. But in your opinion, you, you really think they're going to rework it every couple years to give them the flexibility to not be paralyzed by the cap? I truly uh, agree to, to that because look at Tom Brady. He basically signed a, a contract every year to help out the team, per se. So, like, like with, the, with that silliness going on with Baltimore last year, you know, with uh, with Jackson. Oh, I want to get guaranteed money. The bottom line is, if you're a quarterback in the NFL, starting quarterback in the NFL, you got a guaranteed contract. You're gonna if you're like look at Jackson. Even though it wasn't a guaranteed contract, if he keeps playing well, the team keeps playing well, he's gonna see five years of that deal. So, I mean, there's no way in hell that the Bengals would not be seeing Joe Burrow in a Bengal uniform in the next eight to ten years. So, you know, get it done with. They're going to probably rework it. Questions are the more aggravating thing to a team than anything. So you eliminated that Burrow question of, have you signed the extension? Have you signed the extension? And now... Let's move on and take care of the other guys. Tom, when we were talking prior to the interview, uh, some news broke, and it was about Lyle Collins actually getting waived. What are your thoughts on that move? How does it affect the cap and the team? Um, that's interesting. Uh, the way they were coming out, oh, he's making progress, you know, maybe help out, but apparently by cutting him, they save seven million in cap space, so who knows? Maybe uh, they figured after seeing the way the team performed by not playing in the preseason, seeing uh, a thirty-year-old Collins come back off an injury and keeping a roster space for him, that he's not going to be a productive player for this team. And then, add on top of that, they could save cap money. So I think it was a, a, a no-brainer to move on and maybe use that money to help T. Higgins. Yeah, well put. I was just going to ask you what you think they're going to do with the seven million, and you, you're. Yeah, yeah I, I don't. I don't know, Frank. 
maybe they had that in mind when they when they signed Burrow. Maybe that's tied into that contract. So you know, we don't know between the uh, between the lines of the contract, but hopefully, it's done to help the T Higgins negotiation. So let's put our you know, let's cross our fingers for that. But I mean, it, it's an eye opener that he was gone because all indications we got from the team was he was, you know, making progress and could be, you know, an impact to the offensive line in a few weeks. But, you know, we're not there every day. Great takes, Tom. That was a surprise to me as well. So I know we're playing the Ravens this week, and obviously you're a massive Bengal fan from New Jersey like myself. But we all know you live by the beach in Ocean City, beautiful Ocean City, Maryland. What are you going to be doing for this game surrounded by Baltimore Ravens fans? Um, You know something, Frank? Real football fans respect the NFL players. And, you know, I got my Burrow, my my Chase jerseys, you know, my Wilson jersey. They see that the Bengals now have reached heights that, you know, their teams wish they could do, and they respect the players. So there's not really any any like any crap given to me or or anything you know it's funny being bengal fans frank is like you remember first it was like everybody had pity on us Hmm. because like we'd end up blowing the game as usual and uh when we first met and uh they're like oh man i thought they were gonna win they were like rooting for us now they respect us because they see a guy like Joe Burrow that they wish they could have as a quarterback. So it's not as bad as people think, but there's still, you know, you could see some team guys that, like, fans of teams that, like, their team makes no mistakes or or their team is the best. But now being that it's a local Raven game, I'll sit at home and watch it by myself and enjoy it better. Gotcha, my friend. And I know we were there for the dark times, and now we're here for the bright times. So I'm glad we're going to get to enjoy this nice Joe Burrow run and hopefully get those rings that we've been waiting for forever. Hopefully, you know, talk to the Jeff fans about that after last night, uh, see how they feel. So, you know, nothing's a given in this, uh, in this time. That'll do it for this episode. I'd like to thank at Bengals Highlights on Instagram, the best page out there. Really cool highlights, really cool music. Definitely something you should check out. Thank you for listening to the unofficial Bengals podcast. This is your host, Frank LaPlaca, and I'm a Bengals fan for life. The unofficial Bengals podcast.